Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we have arrived at the third Grand Slam on our tennis calendar, Wimbledon, all set to get underway. And with us to break down all the action ahead, happy to welcome on journalist Amy Lundy-Dahl. She's done work on ESPN 538, Tennis Congress, Tennis Connected, and much more. Amy, so happy to see you. Great to be with you guys to break down and preview Wimbledon. Amy, welcome to Matchpoint Canada for your, your first time with us. I believe that the longer Ben and I do this podcast, the, the more difficulty I have remembering who we've had on before and who we haven't. So, Yeah, I can't believe I haven't done anything with you guys. So it's great to be here. Well, that's our bad. And we're, we're fixing that injustice <laughs> today. So thanks for joining us uh, to set the scene for Wimbledon. And uh, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, being the only slam that happens on grass, how, how much do you see the surface dictating what we see over the next two weeks in the men's and women's draw versus seeing the same players who've been, you know, so far having success in 2023, continuing um, that trend? Good question. I think the surface actually means a lot more in the women's draw than it does the men's draw. Okay. Just because... Djokovic has proven that his brand of tennis plays well on pretty much any surface. And this is an unusual tournament because he is so much the favorite. So it's like him and then maybe Alcaraz significantly below him. And then way below that is kind of the rest of the field. And both uh, Djokovic and Alcaraz are all court, all surface players. So in this, you know, in the grand scheme, when it's all said and done in two weeks, I don't think, you know, grass is quite as big of a factor as it normally is for the men. I think it's actually a huge factor for the women because we have in world number one, Iga Fiontech, the greatest um, clay court female player in the game today. And now she's trying to figure out grass. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I mean, that is the big question, really, for the women's side. And uh, since you brought up Iga, that that's a great place to start. I, I mean, she's the best player in the world. You already highlighted what she's done at Roland Garros, four-time major champion at age 2022, 20, and it's really just kind of the only check mark she hasn't really ticked off in her career at this point. So I, I suppose that is the question: Can Iga solve grass? She hasn't won a title on the surface yet but I felt like she looked pretty sharp in her, her lead up tournament at the bad Humberg open. Yes. And a Twitter follower of mine, we were discussing this topic this past week and the person said that ego was quote unquote, not good on grass. I mean, it's, it's so funny how we uh, elevate these stars and then we take shots at them and it's all mm. relative, right? Like, would you want to play ego on grass? I wouldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but she's so young. And, you know, as we know from neuroscience, young people have spongy brains. They can adapt very quickly. And I think she's actually in the process right now of adapting her game to multiple surfaces, conditions, balls, and that she could actually have a really good run here. Spongy brains. I definitely don't have one of those anymore. It's been a while. <laughs> Uh, by the way, great job on my first question. I usually, you know, start with something a little bit easier on the guests, but you handled that surface question so well. I think Thanks. I was test. I think I was testing you, Amy, and, and you <laughs> sure. passed with flying colors. 
Let me give you something a little bit easier here uh, with my second one. But, uh, you know, before you got into tennis journalism and covering the sport on this side of things, I'm assuming big tennis fan beforehand, like myself and Ben, you know, that's what drew us into this to to begin with. Uh, What are your favorite Wimbledon memories from, you know, before you worked on this side of things growing up as a kid, whether it be, you know, someone lifting the trophy on the men's or women's side or or a storyline that captivated you at Wimbledon when you were a kid, maybe? Oh, what a great question. And it is right in my wheelhouse. I I haven't actually thought about this for a while, but when I was 14 years old, Boris Becker was having his run at Wimbledon. I, I was a sports fan growing up in the Atlanta, Georgia area, but I did not follow tennis. And NBC here in the States would have breakfast at Wimbledon and it would come on in the morning. And instead of watching cartoons that one morning when I was 14, I watched Becker at Wimbledon and I was just captivated. And that was like a major turning point for me in my life because I fell in love with tennis and um, I, I kind of sort of had a little bit of a crush on him <laughs> and I just followed everything he did. And I never looked back uh, from the sport of tennis. I also started to play at that time. I made my high school team and I've had a passion for this sport ever since that moment. That's amazing. I got to tell you, you know, and for our listeners, this wasn't scripted. I didn't know what your answer was going to be to that question. Mm-hmm. But as Ben can attest to, I've said this probably numerous times over our five years hosting together. But Boris Becker is also the reason that I got hooked on tennis. <gasps> and it was it was from Wimbledon as well. And for me, it was I'm not sure which year you're referring to, because Becker was such a mainstay, you know, in the finals of Wimbledon back in the late 80s. But it was those three consecutive ones against Stefan Edberg, another one of my all time favorites. And as a kid, it just captivated me. It hooked me in 88 and then 89. I'm like, oh, these guys are back at it again. And then again in 1990. And, you know, I was eight, nine, 10 years old at the time. And we'd be on summer vacation. And I would, so for you, you were, you know, putting cartoons to the side. And and my family went off to the beach. And I'm like, no, I'm staying in. I'm watching this guy Becker play. And how funny is that, that I think that was, you know, for me as well, what hooked me on the sport. That's amazing. I did not know that about you. I mean, I'm meeting you for the first time. How funny is that? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that's it. Amy's coming back again, Ben. I <laughs> yeah, think definitely. Yeah, confirmed. Right? Like that's <laughs> that's that's a, a given. Um, hey, I was reading your Wimbledon preview for Tennis Connected, um, mutual friend Nima Naderi, who uh, who runs that website, and uh, noticed there was no mention of any Canadians, and uh, didn't take offense because the way they've been playing this year, uh, I, I think it's fair that you didn't have them in your obviously, you know, uh, contenders category at Wimbledon on either the men's or or women's side. But if you had to pick one of our Canadians to make the second week of Wimbledon this year, uh, who do you think is most likely and, and why would you pick them? Um, yeah, yeah, I was just looking up Andrescu's stats before I came on. Um, it's hard to say because she's been so uneven in this past season. Um, Maybe I'll go with the sentimental pick and pick Milos Raonic. I think, you know, based on his serve um, and his motivation for this little comeback that he's attempting, I think that he could uh, win a, a handful of matches here. 
Yeah, and and look, uh, I think Milos does have a nice draw where he has landed, gets uh, Dennis Novak in the opening round. It looks like some prime opportunities. I want to touch on Felix Ojeda-Aliassime because, uh, I, I mean, the end of 2022, you talk about a two- to three-month stretch, you could argue he was the best player on tour, um, winning 17 straight matches, three consecutive titles, and... You know, we're almost victims of, of short-term memory with tennis so often. Literally, no one is talking about Felix leading into Wimbledon. He's he's a former quarterfinalist. He's a big match player, and it just hasn't come together this season. He's been dealing with a knee injury. I feel like it could be a very good thing for him, this tournament, that he is very much flying under the radar. Would you agree? Yeah, I specifically did not mention him because of the injuries. I. It, there may be a shoulder problem as well. And, you know, if if you don't have your serve because you're bothered by a shoulder and or a knee, then you're, you know, really handcuffed at Wimbledon. Um, he, he's also in a tough bracket, in a tough uh, quarter section of the draw. Um, so... I believe me, he's one of my favorite players, and and I, I hope that he is healthy and and can make a deep run. But he's not one of my favorites. No, that's uh that's very fair. Um, just to continue on on the men's side, I mean, you led in with the fact, and we've talked about the fact that Novak Djokovic is just such an overwhelming favorite going into this event, and just sort of determining how wide this gap is that we have. Maybe Djokovic. I have Alcaraz a relatively close second. If we give maybe two to three more names, like who who are you really watching carefully that you could see, you know, making a deep run, even spurring an upset in this case? I'm kind of against the grain, thinking that maybe Medvedev has a shot. Uh, I don't know his state of mind right now, and I know it's been a rough year because of the tensions and the war, but. For a guy with a a six six guy with that kind of a serve who moves well, he's a good mover despite his height. Um, he should right. He should have a shot. You know, some people would say that maybe he's too much of a redirector or you know less aggressive, and certainly is not super comfortable coming forward, but. Uh, he did surprise the tennis world by winning on clay. He won uh, Rome. So if he can win on clay, I, f- I feel that he could possibly do well on grass, which would seem to be a surface that's a little bit more suited to his game than clay is. Yeah, well well said. Why why not on grass if he can do that on clay? Although after that win in Rome, things didn't go exactly how he would have liked to follow that up. But yes. nonetheless, that was a step forward for him. Um, this kind of segues into, you know, something I wanted to ask you was who would be maybe a surprise pick for you to make the quarterfinals someone outside of the obvious. And for me, it, it's going to come at Medvedev's expense. And I, I would go with uh, Martin Fuksovic, uh, who's had some success on grass before quarterfinals at Wimbledon, I believe, a couple of years ago. Also defeated Shapovalov and Taylor Fritz recently in Stuttgart. And those are both quality wins on grass, I would say. Also, and this is, you know, maybe a little off off track, but if you've ever seen the guy without his shirt on, he's absolutely ripped and physically <laughs> just an absolute <laughs> specimen in terms of, you know, the uh, the, the the athletic body that you would want to have. Um, maybe a little too muscular for a tennis player, actually. But nonetheless, 
a guy who definitely takes care of himself. So he would be my pick. I could see him potentially, you know, giving Medvedev an upset and uh, a nice little section of the draw otherwise to potentially get to the quarterfinals there. But enough about who I think, Amy. Who would you pick perhaps to, to make it to the final eight that we wouldn't expect normally? Keep your eye on Chris Eubanks, who just mm-hmm. won in Majorca. And I said this to my podcast colleagues, Joel and Gil, off camera the other day, and they both kind of laughed at me. This is before Eubanks won. <laughs> nice. Um, he, he's uh, super athletic, brilliant serve, smart guy. Like, you almost wonder if he's too smart. Um because he's he sometimes gets in his head and is thinking a lot about patterns. And I don't know if you've ever heard him do his analysis for broadcast. It's incredible. The guy's a natural. He's one of the best I've ever heard. Um, so he's sort of my outsider pick. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. We had Chris on the podcast, actually. Ben yeah, and it was, uh, February, it, was, it, was, it was great to hear you're, you're right. He's incredibly analytical at the time. He, he had not broken into the top 100, but his, his perspective on his game and sort of his path uh, determining, you know, how he needs to rise, what he needs to do to improve. He just seemed to have such a great understanding of the, the day-to-day mentality of, of being a tennis player. So it's, it's been pretty special to see what he's accomplished since that interview. Um, and and Ben, just, do you notice that since you spoke with him, his his trajectory has just been like... Oh, rapidly... I've mentioned it to a couple of people, uh, <laughs> if I want to claim some credit for that. But uh, just just to throw in my name for a, a final eight, and, and Michael have a laugh at this because I'm always high on this player, uh, he plays very well on grass and is always under the radar. Roberto Bautista Agut, uh, I, I, knew I, it. I, knew I do think can be a threat, honestly, and we should point out like, you know, he, he made the semifinals of Hala, beat Medvedev there. He seems to really own Medvedev in that head-to-head semifinalist in 2019. Um, he's outside of the top 20, but he's really match-tough. And I, I think the way his ball plays a little flatter on this surface can really be sort of a wall at the back of the court. And he's in one of these sections of the draw where I don't see, you know, an another set of great grass court players. So I, I wouldn't be shocked for RBA to make a run. He's in a good section of the draw, Ben, for sure. I mean, I've got him there potentially playing against Shapovalov, who, you know, wishful thinking, maybe getting past Casper Ruud to make the fourth round. I could see him doing it, mind you. Oh, yeah. But, but that section, I think, is definitely a little bit, yeah, fluid compared to some of the other ones. I also like Tiafo. I forgot about mm-hmm. him. He He's somebody that is never the pick du jour or the one that everybody's, you know, saying that that could make a deep run. But I've watched him. I've, I've known him. Um, he has a very strong will. And if he gets in his head that nobody's going to stop him, he will. Um, and and actually, his net skills have really improved. I've been watching him this grass season. He's been coming forward and really sticking some volleys, especially on the backhand side. I, I don't think anything that that he does this year is going to surprise anyone anymore after clay court victory and and grass court, you know, success lately. So good pick. And and I want to ask you about one other American player. And I don't think she's going to make it to the final eight. Although it'd be wonderful to see. I don't even think she's going to make it out of her first round match, but nonetheless, 26 years after her first appearance at Wimbledon and Venus Williams is is still at it. And to me, it's just such a testament to her love of competition, her love of the sport. And uh, 
I've got absolutely no patience for anyone who complains about her getting entries into these tournaments after all that she's done for the sport, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. What do you say about Venus Williams back at it competing at the age of 43 here? She's an icon. I have so much admiration for that woman. Everything that she's done for the sport, I'm with you 100%. The girl can play till she's 100 if she wants, (laughs) and she can have a wild card into any tournament. Uh, Love her, love watching her compete. And she won a match recently. So um, if she's Georgie. Yes. Wow. I mean, she absorbed that pace and, you know, figure that one out. So uh, if she's feeling good, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see if we can go a couple rounds here. Tough draw, yeah. though, eh? Getting Svitolina, Ben, and, and Amy in the in the opening round. I mean, I feel for both players a little bit, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll that'll be a, a thrilling, I think, center court match to see uh, the two of them on there. If we talk, I guess, a little more in depth on on the women's field, I mean, we we talked about can Iga conquer the grass? Elena Rybakina is the defending champion. There's been questions of her dealing with some illness. Arena Sabalenka didn't have the opportunity to, of course, play this event last year. Are you looking mainly at those three of our sort of newly established big three on the women's side, or are you going, you know, elsewhere like an Anzabur or maybe a couple of other names? I, I uh, made an unconventional conventional pick. Um, I, I full disclaimer here: I don't like to pick. <laughs> I don't mm. bet. That's um, if if I tried to bet, I would you know, get myself out of house and home. Um, But I do write this column for uh, Tennis Connected. And because Nima asked me to just sort of lightly pick, I agreed because he's Nima. Um, So I picked Kvitova, actually. Uh, Two-time Wimbledon champion, the lefty. I think um, she loves... London, the conditions, if if they're not too hot, uh, really favor her. And I just looked at the draw and I, I sort of thought, well, I, I like this person here. I like this person here. Rebakina, uh, she's not been feeling well and I'm not sure she's 100%. Jabur puts a lot of pressure on herself. Iga, I, I think I, I picked her to go very deep. Um, just not sure about her on grass. Um, Sabalenka, I feel like has been affected by these, these questions about, um, Belarus and with the British media there, they're not going to let up. So I don't know how she's going to respond to that or react to that pressure. So I ended up going with Petra. I just want to chime in. Maybe it's our Boris Becker connection here, but I too am thinking of Petra and look at some of the players she just beat in, in Berlin for the title there. Uh, Pliskova, uh, Podoroska, Garcia, Alexandrova, and then Donna Vekic, who's been playing terrific in the finals as well. So I think there's, there's a lot of reason to get behind Petra in this one. Yep. Great. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess if we just sort of wrap up, if we go off the board a little bit on the women's side, another dark horse contender you could envision making a deep run, Amy. Hmm. Coco Goff, that that maybe now she is in uh, Sviantec's quarter, 
So Iga, I think, has these head-to-head seven to nothing. And I think Coco has not even taken a set off of Iga. So it's really bad luck that, you know, she keeps getting in her area in these tournaments. But um, maybe grass is the surface. You know, clay is tough against Iga, but maybe grass is the surface where Coco can dig one out. And if she can get past Iga, she'll be in really good shape and she'll have a ton of confidence. Mike? Amy, um, love your assessments and not just because of our growing up on Boris Becker, but uh, (laughs) hey, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, I think Ben and I can both say that you're fantastic and so glad that you came on with us and you'll have to promise to do this again sometime soon. Right back at you guys. You're terrific. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. That was Amy Lundy Dahl. Uh, you can find her work on Twitter. She's done work for ESPN 538, Tennis Congress, and Tennis Connected. Mike, if we uh, continue on, are there any dark horses you're kind of keeping your eye on uh, in the women's field at all? I mean, look, just overall, and I think it's because we're Canadian, maybe, but you know, the Canadians are, are primed to do something this year, and we're just we just haven't seen it yet. So I thought maybe in the clay court season, it was going to click then didn't happen, you know, wishful thinking, fingers crossed, you know, that maybe something can happen here on the grass. I mean, it's such a tricky surface. It's such a unique surface that it seems like a prime place for some upsets to happen, or maybe for one of our Canadians to go on a roll. And I know you asked me on the women's side, but just even overall big picture. I mean, look, Dennis has made the semis there before Felix has made the quarters. Layla and Bianca have both been to, you know, Grand Slam finals before with with Layla just coming up slightly short and Bianca winning, of course, albeit on hard court. And so I wouldn't be surprised if if any of them have a little run here. Even someone like Rebecca Marino, or as Amy was saying, uh, Milos Ronich, who's back, if he's healthy, I, I think both of them with their big serves as well, respectively, could do some damage in their se- sections of the draw. And, and Milos in particular is is such an intriguing case because such a little sample size over the last two years, he's only played two matches and those both coming really, you know, quite recently. So I I hope he's healthy. Um, We haven't really heard too much from him since uh, that initial uh, appearance at uh, Hertogenbosch, but uh, if he's in there, I'm assuming he's playing because he's feeling ready to go and he's not someone that, that anybody's going to want to face. And you could say that for any of the Canadians, irregardless of their rankings and how they've been playing so far in 2023, I don't think there's anyone out there that's going to see any of those those names, those big four Canadian names um, in the women's or men's draw and and be feeling comfortable heading into that match. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head the, the other week, sort of saying if if I'm a player in the draw and I, I'm drawing Milos Raonic in my first round, I'm pretty bummed, honestly. That's kind of the last sort of early round player you'd like to face, especially if you're seated. You're right. I think Rebecca Marino honestly has a very good draw. She is playing a seed in the opening round, but I like her chances against Irina Camelia Begu. And if she gets past there, I think she has certainly a decent path to to get into the third round, which would likely be an encounter with Irina Sabalenka. So maybe she does something there. Leila Annie Fernandez, very winnable first round match against Katarina Bandel of the Ukraine. Then we could see a rematch with Caroline Garcia, who she seems to continue to run into in big time matches, particularly at slams where they played at the Australian open at the front end of the year. Garcia has had her number so far winning both encounters, but they've been very, very close. I'd like to see another chance for Layla there. And yeah, my questions with Bianca, it's just uh, career wise. She's eight and 10 on grass. So 
I, I know maybe that's not that much to draw on, but clearly it's a surface she's still kind of figuring out, and we didn't really see the form leading into Wimbledon, but we know and her Bianca's, ability to turn it on. Yeah, and Bianca's in a really crappy section of the draw. I mean, you got Ons Jabur up there, who's, you mm-hmm. know, career, like basically three wins for every loss on grass. Karolina Pliskova with uh, that booming serve. Petra Kvitova uh, as well. They're all in that immediate section where she's going to have to face you know, any of them from the third round onwards. Um, yeah. and, and then even players like, let's just say Bianca somehow got to the quarterfinals navigating through those three players I mentioned, potentially Haddad Maya and Rabakina, who are both also, you know, grass court, you know, wizards. So that is a very, that's a very difficult section of the draw for all those players I just mentioned, because at mm-hmm. best they're going to make maybe the quarters. One of them will come through to the semis, but I just listed like five players who could be realistically contending for this title on the women's side. No, exactly. I do want to give a shout out to Carol Zhao. The fact that she's in the main draw of this tournament, I think it's an incredible story at age 28, qualifying for a slam for the first time in her career. That's a huge, incredible breakthrough moment. Um, we've spoken with her many times. I've, I've seen her train at Aviva Center, work with our friend Rob Steckley for weeks on occasion. She's such a nice girl. And uh, she's so driven and competitive. So to see her have that moment is is amazing. And honestly, she has a winnable first round as as well against Tamara Korpach, uh, who who got in by a lucky loser. So who knows? Maybe she gets into the second round of Wimbledon. And a couple of things that surprised me about that story is one, I I wouldn't have guessed that Carol was twenty eight by this stage. I would have guessed younger, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And also, I wouldn't have have guessed or thought that this was the first time she's ever qualified for the main draw of a slam. To be perfectly honest. And, you know, to have that kind of result at the age of 28, think of the prize money that's coming yeah. her way, whether she wins that first round or not. My goodness, even just making it there is such a game changer for a player like that who's outside of the top 100 that that's going to change the rest of her season in terms of who she can train with, what kind of coaching help she can get, who she can bring with her to tournaments, what tournaments she can even afford to to fly to and, and go to now because of this result. So, you know, someone like you said, who, who we've had on before, wonderful person well-rounded person you know even just outside of tennis and being an athlete um so really really happy for her and you could tell with her posts on social media just how much it meant for sure yeah definitely a couple other names i do have my eye on by by the way on the women's side madison keys is a name we just really haven't spent much time talking about and for her to get a big grass score title at eastbourne leading in an epic tiebreak victory actually in that second and final set against Daria Kazakina 15-13 to come through and win that title. She has three grass court titles in her career. She's comfortable on the surface, obviously the big serve, huge baseline game. Uh, she's made the quarterfinals in the past. And again, certainly under the radar, even despite this title, Madison Keys. I mean, she's a former U S open finalist, but we haven't really seen the big time slam results since then. Um, that's a name I could see, you know, making some noise. Yeah, I'd put her in maybe like my my top eight, like maybe on the fringe of my top eight women's contenders for sure. And talk about someone who's had success on all surfaces, you know, at the slams, going deep on hard court, on clay court, and playing really well on grass as well right now. I mean, I think the women's draw is going to be super, super fascinating, whereas the Benz, you know, I'm sure there'll be some great storylines and some fantastic, you know, matchups along the way. Uh, but I feel like the 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 conclusion conclusion of the tournament the the end of the tournament is almost a given with with the way Djokovic. I don't even think it's worth really mentioning, right? And talking about it, um, he's he's so close to to equaling Federer's eight Wimbledon titles, and and for someone who's 
probably already proven himself as the greatest men's tennis player of all time. Um, you know, if he could tie Federer for the number of, of grass court titles and with plenty of time still left in his career to, to even surpass that, I mean, he's going to be the goat on, on grass as well, potentially. So, you know, fewer question marks in terms of who's going to ultimately, I think, be the one standing on the men's side. But on the women's side, it's going to be it's going to be pretty, pretty open ended, I think, in a lot of players who could be contending for this title. Yeah, you're right. And, and look, last year's finalist, Nick Kyrgios, had to pull out of this tournament with a wrist injury. Uh, so he's not in the mix. Nadal sidelined, of course, Federer retired. There's only one other former champion here, which Andy is Murray. two-time winner, Andy Murray. So, you know, where did we sort of set the bar on what Andy Murray can can do at this event? We know he'll have enormous support of the crowd behind him, which will surely lift him up. And he had an incredible run uh, of couple titles on challengers winning uh, the serbatone trophy and then winning in nottingham as well in in britain winning a title there uh, before queen's club so he's certainly come into form at the right time uh he did have to take a step back to play challengers but uh, i think this is probably the healthiest and fit and strongest he's looked heading into a wimbledon you know prior to those surgeries i would argue and and he knows there's only so many years left to do this. I mean, I'm not saying this is his last hurrah. I'm sure he's going to be back for another one or two after this, at least. But but there's fewer in front of him than there there are behind him, of course. And yeah. yeah, just the fact that a former world number one is willing to go down and play challenger events willingly, and not just one but a couple, to get his footing on grass, I think speaks volumes to you know what what he's willing to do in order to be successful. He's in a really interesting section of the draw too. He's playing a, a young, well, not young, but younger, twenty eight year old, I believe, Ryan Penniston from Great Britain in the first round. And and Penniston said, I believe that he almost crashed his car when he found out he was going to be playing <laughs> Andy Murray in the in the opening round, as you can imagine. Yeah. And then a win a win against him, you'd have to imagine, sets up uh, you know either meeting Dominic Team or more likely fifth seeded Stefano Cici pass. And and I think Murray's got a, a real shot in that one. I don't consider CC Pass a a you know super threatening player necessarily here at Wimbledon this year. And um, you know maybe the distractions of his new romance with Paula Badosa and not quite as focused as he yeah. needs to be. And, yeah. and you know and you know Murray's going to be as focused here as for any tournament on the you know the calendar for him on the ATP tour. So uh, and, and obviously we know the crowd's going to be supporting. So. I think Murray's got a, a real shot to um, to, to upset Susie Pass if they play. I, I, I think it'd be a, a five-set battle no matter how you, you look at it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I would love to see the fireworks in that match. We know they've had a couple of great showdowns in the past, memorable one at the U.S. Open. As we wrap up, uh, Mike, you had a great interview with uh, Valerie Tetreau, who is tournament director in Montreal for the National Bank Open revealed the news that Caroline Wozniacki is returning to the tour coming out of retirement and is making her return to Montreal. If you haven't done so already, get your tickets because that's going to be an electric return from a former world number one player. And also the fact that we're getting equal prize money um, coming to our events uh, by 2027 is a huge piece of news and, and great for equality. Yeah, feel free to go back and listen to our previous episode where I speak with Val Tetro. And I mean, landing Wozniacki for a tournament like this for her first one back is is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what a great you know tennis player on court, but off the court as well. So I, I definitely hope we can get in on some of those press conferences in Montreal. Um, I think she's going to add just another awesome element to the tournament and to the women's tennis landscape overall. And good for her having you know two children and deciding to come back after three years. And you know looks as fit as can be uh, in social media posts. 
And I think she could still have something to say in terms of, you know, the upper levels of, of women's tennis. And of course, parity between the men and the women. This is something that, you know, should have happened a long time ago. And, and here we are and it's happening and Tennis Canada is behind it. The Masters 1000 tournaments, women's tournaments are going to be, you know, getting in line with this as well. And uh, fantastic for these these, uh, these athletes. Well said. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Enjoy Wimbledon week one. We will talk to you next time.